Amen. Thank you, Matt. We've had some good singing this morning. Amen. Amen. You agree with that? Good. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. I told the 1030 last week, and if you're joining us online, thank you for joining. I love um, how many people get to faithfully watch us online. Think of Miss Barbara and Raymond, Connie, ladies like that, men like that. Um, y'all be praying for Miss Barbara. She's been going through some health stuff. Be praying for her. Reach out to her. Love on her. Um, but I, I did tell the 1030 last week that service is not live stream. You guys are my favorite service. And I'm okay with that now. I, I was, it's been a secret for many months. I, I'm ready to come out. Uh, you guys are my favorite service. It's been a good um, morning so far, good start to the Lord's day. There's no place I'd rather be um, than here with you worshiping him. And uh, it's good. Next week, I'm excited. Our, uh, next week, the 25th, is our Baptism Sunday. Uh, we've already got several people registered for that. If you need to be registered for that, get registered for that. If you need to get baptized, let's, let's do it next week. Uh, we're going to celebrate next week for the Baptism Sunday. And then next week kind of kicks off um, the accidental ordination week um, where my dad's going to preach for us next Sunday night. And if you know my dad, if you've heard my dad, you know that will be a treat. Um, and then that Wednesday night will be my ordination service. So not this coming Wednesday, but the next on the 28th uh, is my ordination service. And I invite you to say, I don't normally come out on a Wednesday night. I invite you to come out on that Wednesday night, be there for that, um, because it's just going to be a special night. Those, those services are always special. You get to see some, some old friends. Uh, and then my very good friend, Jeff Jones, is actually going to be preaching for us that night. I want you to hear him. And then that Sunday, um, Stuart and Chelsea are going to be with They'll be here for the ordination. But uh, they'll be in. If you don't know, Stuart and Chelsea was assistant here for many years, and uh, good one of my best friends in the world. I'm excited to have him for that week. He'll preach for us all day on that March 3rd Sunday, a.m. and p.m. And uh, really looking forward to these next couple of weeks. But I'm looking forward to right now in Philippians one. I've enjoyed the study. I hope you've enjoyed the study of Philippians that we're in it right that we've gone through. It is. I feel like it's one of the only epistles that Paul is not correcting them, and the reason he's not correcting them. It's not because they uh, are, it's not because they, because they're already doing a really good job. So it's, a, it's really a high standard that the book of Philippians set. So I feel like I'm coming in with some deep, hard truths every week. But the church of Philippi got it. And here's the thing. We can get it too. We can get it too. If you are, if you have been, maybe you've, I don't know, we've got so man, we've got spectrum people who've been in church since the, before they were born, people who are newer to church, some people who are still testing out what is Christianity, what is the Bible, what all, I don't know where you fall on the spectrum, but I do know this, maturing is a good thing, and, and getting into the deep truths of the Word of God is a really good thing. I don't care if you've been in church for 30 years or three days, don't be satisfied with just a little bit because there's so, so much more. The gospel is not just what saves us. It what, it's what does everything for us. And Philippians breaks that down for us. And it's, it's enticing and it's a little bit, like for me, it's a little bit scary because I'm like, man, I'm asking these people to kind of, like today, today's a t- if you've read if you've read the next couple of verses in this one, this is a tough one to ask, but it's a worthy ask. Why? Because it comes from the word of God. So we get into Philippians, don't be scared, be ready. Be ready, because this is some good stuff. Uh, it, we've enjoyed the book of Philippians. It's our third sermon in the book of Philippians. Uh, we started out with this idea of continuing in the gospel ministry. Paul charged them to keep going what they've been doing. And uh, we've seen all throughout the really book of Philippians, there's all these like coffee cup verses, all these slogans. You've got Philippians 4.13. We're going to have one today. There's, in every chapter, there's kind of these hallmark Christian verses. And that's what kind of make up this book, because it's such an encouraging book. And uh, last week, we talked about the idea of 
that the gospel is worth it. Gospel ministry is worth it. Serving Jesus is worth it. And then you realize today, you come to this point where Paul is kind of giving them one last, uh, not one last, sorry, he's charging them all throughout, but he's kind of he's finishing his thought that we started last week. And uh, remember when we're reading this book, he's not just writing to a church that he does not know. This is not just him writing to the church across the world, like, hey, these are some good things to keep in mind. He's writing to people that he knows personally. People that he saw converted, right? If you go back, and I should have started this. I, I regret it. I should have started this this in Acts when the church is actually started um, in Acts 16 where you actually see Lydia's conversion. You see the jailer converted. You see the slave girl uh, freed and converted. You see all these people that Paul is writing to that he knows. Okay? So these are not just, he's hey, here's some good ideas. No, he's writing to people he loves, he knows, and he's saying, I said I'll just say this. These words that he's writing are things that he, he loves these people and these words matter to him. The things you say to the people you love are usually the things that matter most. Okay, so when you read this epistle, when you hear these sermons, realize that he's not just writing these things. These are things that he desperately wants the people he loves most in the world to get a hold of. So as I'm preaching these things, guess who you are? You're the people I love most in this world, and I desperately want you to get a hold of these things. Okay, so Philippians 1, uh, we, are, we are in verse number, we're going to go 18 through 30. We're going to finish out the first chapter this morning. We ended last week with him talking about uh, what it means to live for Christ, to give for Christ, to be everything for the gospel's sake, to give of himself. Remember, he's writing from prison to a church that was started in prison. He's under all this persecution. And what does verse number 18 end with? And therein I do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. How could Paul be rejoicing? With all he's going through, with all this church is going through, with sitting in a Roman jail, not a fun jail, not a nice jail, a Roman prison, he is rejoicing. Because this, this is the reason he's rejoicing, and this is a little bit of a spoiler, because the God of then is the God of now. And the way we can rejoice is the same way he rejoiced. Because he had God, and here's the thing, we can as well. And don't ever forget, when you're reading these stories, when you're seeing these miraculous works, the God that did this, the God that gave Paul a joyful spirit in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of stress, in the midst of the worst days of his life, the God that gave him that joy is the same God that can give you yours today. Same God. Same God. Now, let's work through the text. This joy is available to us. How do we find it? Philippians 1, 18. What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and therein I do rejoice and will rejoicing. Now, listen, he is not just, he's not just okay. He's not just surviving. He's not just getting through. What is he doing? He is rejoicing. Why? For, verse number 19, for I know that this shall turn to my salvation. And when you see salvation, don't think your salvation is like you're trusting Christ, deliverance. He's talking about he's, he, he knows that this is going to work out. My salvation through your prayer and for the supply of Christ. Jesus, for, he's answering, I'm rejoicing because I know I will be delivered. Now, he doesn't know he's going to be delivered from jail. He just knows he's going to be delivered from this life, Period. He's not saying, I know I'll get out. Why? Because he doesn't know he'll get out. He thinks he's going to die. Keep reading. He thinks he's going to die, but he says, I know I will be delivered because of what you've done, verse number 20, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. Now, this is a, this is a key verse. This is a key verse. I want to put your glasses on lean in. But with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. That song we just sang, this song is we did not plan this, is literally written from these verses. All those verses we just saying, Christ be magnified, and a little bit because he lives, is written from these verses. According to my earnest expectation and my hope. This is what he's saying. He's saying, 
I have, I not only expect, but I hope, I'm not only expecting a little bit, I am earnestly expecting. He longs, he desires. Not that he wants, he, he longs and he desires, and then he says, not that I'll be ashamed. He, says he doesn't want regret. He doesn't want his life to be full of shame and regret. Not in the sense of sin, but in a wasted life. But what does he say? But with all boldness, as always, so now also shall, be, shall Christ be magnified in my body. He wants to use his body. He wants to use his life physically, spiritually to show that Christ is everything. That's what he's saying. He's saying, my, not only do I want this, not only do I, I'm not only am I praying for this, he says, I hope it and I expect that my body is used in every way, in life and in death, for the cause of Christ, for Christ. Both in the way he lives and, listen, the way he dies. In the verse number 21, one of those famous verses in Scripture, for to, me, for to me to live for, he's answering a question again. He's setting it up, answering a question. For to me to live is what? Christ. And to die is gain. What he's saying is this, to live in, is Christ. Everything about my life is Christ. My purpose, my salvation, my, what wakes me up in the morning, what puts me to sleep, what drives me, what gives me, what fuels me. Everything in my life is Christ. And because everything in my life is Christ, what? My death is gain. My death is gain. Because my life is defined by my desire for Christ, what does death mean? What does death mean? Death means eternity in heaven. So what does death mean? Death means more Christ. Because my life on earth is lived for Christ, my death is gain. Gain means better. He's not saying my death's okay. He's not saying it'll be okay. He's not saying we'll see him again. No, he's saying life is better there. Why? Because everything I've lived for just gets amplified and personalized in heaven. Why? Because death is gain. Let's keep reading. We're working our way. But if I live in the flesh, is the fruit of my labor, yet what I shall choose, I what not, I don't know. He says, I don't know if I should stay in the flesh because then I get to then I get to serve and bear fruit of the gospel. Verse number 23, for I am in a strait betwixt two. He said, I'm stuck between two choices, having a desire to depart. What does that word depart mean? He's talking about die. He's saying, I have a desire to die. Not because he's suicidal, not because he's sad, not because he's bummed out. Why? Because he wants more Christ. Do you see that? This is a guy who's living a life, writing to people he loves. He says, honestly, I can't decide if I want to stay here. I, I'm honestly okay if this martyrdom that they're proposing works out. And I'm okay if I die because guess what? I get more Christ. That's how much Christ me meant to him. It didn't just mean that he gets to live as Christ, but what? To die is gain. Have a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Not even a, far better. Not even a, not even a question. Not even a debate, not even a competition. The life with Christ in heaven, far better. Death is gain. Not to escape earth, jail, flesh, but to embrace Christ. Death is better than life because death offers more Christ. Number 24. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. It's more needful for him to stay alive to benefit those around him, right? He's writing to the church. He says, it's better for me to be here for your sake, verse number 25, and having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith. He's confident he will stay. He's confident he will help keep serving them. He's confident he will keep laboring for the church of Philippi, verse number 26, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ 
for me by my coming to you again. His service will cause them to rejoice because that's how much their relationship means to each other because they've just served and given and loved and trialed and done gospel work together and they know how it will cause them to rejoice. Verse 27, it's kind of a charge. He said, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. He's given them this charge to keep the gospel the center, to live a life that testifies of the gospel united together. Verse number 28, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries. Let me read that again. No fear in life, no guilt in death. And in nothing, what? Terrified, no fear, by your adversaries, which is to them an evident, a token of perdition, but to you of salvation. The perdition means destruction. He says this, your lack of fear is evident to the world that they do not have something that you have. Listen, because you live a life fearlessly walking, whether you're going to die by the hand of the sword, die by your persecutors, because you live a life fearless, that shows them that you have Christ and they don't. But to you of salvation and that of God, these fearful of nothing. Verse number 29, for unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. And we've talked about that these past couple of weeks. Having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Now there's so, we could preach, preacher, we could preach 40 sermons from these 12 verses. I chose this one. A fearless life. For a fearless death. I want to live fearless. Now I'm not talking about fearless as in risky. I'm not talking about fearless as in doing dumb stuff. I'm talking about living a life for the one thing that will last despite everything else. And what is that thing? That is Christ. Paul is demonstrating. Now listen, listen, listen. Before we get into this, this is a, this is a mature text. This is a call to maturity. One of my favorite things about being in youth group, one of my favorite things about being a youth pastor, being around teenagers, is watching 6th, 7th, and 8th grade boys grow up. I think that is the funniest thing. It's the, I love it. It's just because you get them in sixth grade, and you guys go to the middle schools. If you ever go to a middle school, I'm sure you've had kids, you've been in middle schools, you've got some kids who are like this tall, and then you've got like six, eight kids walking around. Like these kids are one year apart. This is insanity. That's middle school. And I love watching these middle schools, especially girls, they, they pretty much, they figure it out much quicker than boys. Um, boys, they come in sixth grade, and they're wild, right? They're rambunctious. They're, they're little kids still. They're just running around being silly. And seventh grade is usually you, right around Christmas, it's kind of, things start changing. You kind of have a first couple months where they're pretty annoying still. Love them. Love them. Pretty annoying still. They don't really care. They just have no shame. They have no shame. They'll do whatever. They'll do the dance. They'll do the joke. They, they'll do whatever. They just, they'll do whatever. Why? Because they're immature. Nothing about, when people see them, it's okay. They, they don't, they have no guilt. It's just they're doing their thing. They will sit there. They will talk. They will, they, it doesn't matter. They're doing their thing. But at some point, they will walk in. And it's, I'm telling you, I've seen it in your children. I've, they'll walk in on a Wednesday night, and instead of going and just walking up to their friend and just punching them instantly, which is usually what happens, or pushing them or wrestling or just literally just starting a brawl, they will walk in and they will sit down. And someone will come up and maybe one of the young kids will start poking and prodding. He's like, hey, bro, chill out. Why? What, what's changed in a week? Well, something's changed chemically, but we're not going to talk about that. What's changed? Somewhere along the way, I don't know what triggered it, I don't know what triggers it in all of us, something seduced them to maturity. For somewhere along the way, they were this immature person, 
and for whatever reason, maybe it was for a girl, maybe it was for a sport, maybe because someone just finally bullied them enough and they're like, okay, it's time to grow up. I don't know what it is, but for some reason along the way, it happened to all of you, it happened to me. We were growing up and all of a sudden one day we woke up and we realized, I want to be more mature. And something seduced us to that maturity. Now listen, I hope in your Christian life you will come to a place, if you have not already, where you will be seduced to maturity. Where you will want more of Christ because he is wanting to give it, but you must want it as well. He wants you to grow. He wants you to move on from, he wants you to get some meat and some depth. And I'm going to preach a sermon right now that is asking a lot of you. And for some of you, you're going to be like... This isn't me at all. And I understand why. Because you are an immature Christian. I love you. I want you to keep coming. I want you to plug in. I want you to do all those things. But at some point, I want whatever it is, the Holy Spirit, to stir something up in you that you want more. Because if you want to live a fearless life, it's a tall ask what Jesus asks us to do right here. It's a big ask. And it takes a mature person. I don't, when, I, when, I need a, when I need a teenager to do something, I'm not asking a sixth grader. I'm asking a junior or senior. Why? Because I know they have a little bit of maturity to handle the ask. I'm about to ask, do you have the maturity to handle this ask? This is not an age thing. This is a biblical maturity thing. Let's pray. We're going to get into it. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for letting us come together, Lord. It's been such a good service already, Lord. I feel a good spirit in here. I have good liberty to preach, Lord. Uh, thank you for this book of Philippians as it's challenged us, Lord, to, to live completely sold out for you. And that's what we're about to talk about today, Lord. Uh, help me not to have a good outline, a good sermon, a good illustration. Lord, help me to be anointed by the Spirit of, your li- of the living God, Lord. I, I want nothing more than the Holy Spirit to fill me and give me the words to say. If I, don't, if I don't look at my notes again, I'm okay with that as long as it is Holy Spirit driven, Lord. Help that to be the focus of our service, Lord. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Why do we have fear? Why do we have fear? Why do we have fear in life? Fear is triggered. This is my, these are my thoughts. I've read some articles. I've done some digging this week. Fear is triggered by the possibility of a loss. When, when we fear, we fear we'll think of something. If you're on a tall, uh, how many of you guys are scared of heights? I'm scared of heights. I'm scared of heights. If you're not scared of heights, that's weird. You should be. Heights are scary. High places are scary. If you are standing at an, at an, at a, at a, off a ledge and you're looking down, and you're full of fear, what are you scared of losing? Your life, your safety. So you're full of fear. You're sca- the possibility of life causes you to fear. So all in life, we have so many things that we are scared of losing. So what happens? Because we have so many things we're scared of losing, we're, we're full of fear. Why? Because we love so many things. We're fearful of losing our safety, our personal safety. We're fearful of losing our health. We're fearful of losing our life. We're fearful of losing our status. We're fearful, it's an election year. We're fearful of losing our freedom. Why? So we're walking around in fear. We're fearful of losing our family. These aren't bad things. I'm not telling you not to care. These are things you should care about. All those things I just listed, you should, you should care about your health. You should care about your family. You should love your family. You should invest in those. You should care about your freedom. All these things, I'm not asking you not to care about these things. Here's what I'm asking. Here's what Paul is asking, and here's what Philippians 1, 18-30 is asking. Not to not care about those things, but to care about Christ more. Let me say that again. I'm not asking you not to care about the good things of life. Care about them. Those are gifts of God. I'm asking you to care about Christ more. Care about Christ more. And it doesn't make sense to live this life unless you've experienced the gospel. It doesn't make sense to care about Jesus Christ more than your wife and children unless you've experienced the gospel. It doesn't make sense to, to serve in ministry over, uh, over your own freedoms and joys of life unless you've experienced the gospel. If you have not been saved, if you've not trusted Christ as your Savior, 
this message will not make sense to you at all, but you can be saved today and it'll make sense tomorrow. Because that's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the power of the gospel. Okay? So you must have experienced the gospel. Living a fearless life is worth it. It is possible to find joy in jail. It is possible to be fearless no matter what life throws at you. If you know Jesus and if you are willing to allow Jesus to mature you, we have got no time in three points. So let's, let's buckle in. There's three things I want to give you. Three things. If you take notes, there's three things. I hope you bring your Bible. I hope you take notes. I hope you do all those things. Three things. Three things. Number one is this. To defeat fear, to overcome fear, the first thing is this. Remove the danger. Remove the danger. Think of a situation where you're full of fear. The quickest way to remove the fear is to remove the danger. Think if you get jumped, robbed, robbed at gunpoint, the quickest way, Lord, help this person to what? Disappear. Go away. Why? Because that is the person that is causing you fear, the danger. The quickest way to defeat fear is to remove the danger. When we're thinking of our lives, not of our spiritual I, I, If you ever say, this is my spiritual life and this is my life, they better become one really soon. The gospel makes them one. You don't have a spiritual life and then your regular life. You got one life and it better be a spiritual one. When we're thinking of our spiritual lives, the most dangerous thing in your life, and I'm not speaking hyperbolically, I'm not exaggerating, this is not preacher talk, the most dangerous thing in your life is living for anything other than Christ. That's the most dangerous thing. When I say remove the danger, here's the danger. Living for anything other than Christ. You must remove that. Verses 20 through 21 lay this out for you. We live our lives for things that we deem worthy. We say that finances are worthy, so we live our lives for them. We live our lives accumulating finances. You know how we, you know, how we know this? Why? Because we see men, this is a thing in men and women especially, and this is a, I'm not mad at this, but they live their entire lives to work till what, 55, 65, they retire, they retire, they get that pension, and then what happens two weeks later? They go get another job because they can't sit at home, and they got to do something. What happens? They've lived their life for work. Now, I'm not mad at that. I hope you tithe on your pension and your paycheck. I want both, okay? But that's what happens. That They live their life for this. Because why? We say finances are worthy. We say status is worthy. I talked to a kid this week. He was about to, huh, love him. He was about to put a, try to buy a $50,000 truck. It was going to take 50% of his paycheck. And I'm like, dude, no, no. Why? He said, I got to look good. I said, it's not worth it, brother. Why? But status is worth it. So we live our lives trying to fulfill this status whatever for those around us. We live, we say family is worth it. And family is a good thing. Family is a good thing. But what happens is we put family in a place that is reserved only for God. We put family in a place that is reserved only for God. Luke, what does Luke 14, 26 says? Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you've got to hate your mom, your dad, your brothers, your sisters, your wife, your kids. Because, not because he wants you to hate them. He wants your love for him to be so great compared to your love for them that it looks as if it's hate. That's what it means to live as Christ. To be so, to be in, so in love with him that your love for everything else pairs in pales in comparison. This weekend on our marriage retreat, man, we had an awesome marriage retreat, an awesome weekend. John Anderson did a great job. He brought up this, he brought up this illustration. I'm going to use, I'm going to completely steal his thing that he talked about this week. He talked about how in, in uh, I've heard it before, but it, man, it reminded me, it was so good. He talked about in the, ten, uh, when, in the Ten Commandments, when Jesus, when God says, have no other gods before me. No other gods before me. He's not speaking of order. When we think of that, we think, of, in my mind, in my Sunday school mind, I think of no other gods before me as in I can have other gods as long as God is first. That's not what he's talking about. He's not saying have other gods before me as in I must be number one on your list. He's saying there should be no other God in my presence. You are before me today. I'm before you today. He says there should be no other God around, which means all of everything in my life is centered around Christ. No other gods before me. This is illustrated in 1 Samuel 5 when Dagon, the, 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 
the God of the Philistines, they steal the Ark of the Covenant, they bring it back to their temple of Dagon, the, the, the false god, they put it in the temple, and what happens? They go away for the night, they come back the next day, the, the, the statue's on his face. They come back the next day, they pop him back up, go back, they come back the next day, statue's on his face, his arms, his legs, and his head's gone. Why? Because no other god allowed in the presence of God. No other god allowed in the presence of God. No good things allowed in the presence of God. Why? Because nothing else is worthy. The only thing that is worthy of the God space in your life is God. I love your family. Your family is not worthy of that space. I hope you love your spouse. Your spouse is not worthy of that space. I hope you love your kids. I hope you love your job. I hope you love your church. I hope you love all these good things from God, but none of them are worthy of the space of God in your life. Not because they are bad and they are flawed, they're sinful things, but because God is so good. He's the only thing worthy. He's the only thing worthy. What makes something worthwhile? It's longevity. The only thing eternal is Christ. I wish your family lasted forever. They don't. I wish your job lasted forever. It doesn't. I wish your hobbies, your purpose, everything that we define our lives by lasted forever. They don't. The only thing that lasts forever is Christ. So your life must be centered around him. And the dangerous thing we play is we live for things other than Christ. And what does he do? Unfortunately, those things get taken away through life or by decision by God. Those things get taken away and we are lost and we're angry. And what happens is God is revealing to us that we were living for something other than him. You know how you can sit in a jail and be fearless? Because you know even in death, I still have Christ. You know you can go to a doctor's appointment, get bad news, rejoice. You say, why would I rejoice? Because I know that even in death, I still have Christ. See, this is a mature, this is a mature ask. You guys see, you see why I said that in the beginning? This is a mature life, but listen, it's a worthy life. And it's not worthy because I'm preaching, it's worthy because the Word of God says it. And I want you to be able to go through life in Statesville, North Carolina, and for people to see you and be like, man, there is something different about them. And it's not because of the church you go to, the family you come from. It's because you are living for Christ. And to live is Christ and to die is gain. Number one, remove the danger. Number two, we move quickly. Retreat to safety. Go back to that scary situation. You're on the ledge. The, if you can't make the ground come up, you can't make the gun go away, the next best thing is to retreat to safety. And these things go hand in hand. They don't happen at one time. You don't get rid of the bad and then replace the good. Jesus does it all for us, thankfully. Retreat to safety. Safety is this, and this is a simple thought. If danger is living for anything other than Christ, safety is living for Christ. It's simply said but hardly executed. Simply said but hardly executed. The safest place a Christian can be is a place of full surrender to Christ. For me to live is Christ. My life is Christ. Worshiping him, serving him, giving to him, dying for him. Why? Because dying is gain. Because I've walked with Jesus hand in hand my entire life. And I know in eternity I will do the same. Why? So to live is Christ and to die is Gain. I want you to plead with you to live for Christ because he is worthy of your life and nothing else is. He's the only one worthy. Why? Because he loves us. John said this this weekend. Why do we love Jesus? Why do we love God? Why? First John tells us because he first loved us. God has poured out his love so much onto you by saving you. Just in that, just in saving you, he has deemed himself worthy for you to live for. Just in saving you. He loved you so much that your giving your life to him is worth it. Do you agree with that? Do we agree with that? Why? For to live is Christ and to die is gain. Well, how do we live for Christ? We move quickly. Well, first, you must be transformed by the gospel. 
If you haven't been transformed by the gospel, you haven't been saved, you're not going to live for Christ. Matthew 7, what does Matthew, we talked about this in teens on Wednesday. What does Matthew 7 say? Matthew 7, Jesus says, many will come that day, say, Lord, Lord. And I will say, I never knew you. Many, you know what many, you know what many tells me, preacher? When Jesus says many, you know what many tells me? Many tells me there's men and women sitting in here who do not know Jesus. And who will face eternity one day and will go saying, well, I went to church. Well, I, was, I wasn't that bad of a person. Well, I, I had this. And he will say, I never knew you. Many will. Many will. Not some, not a few, not the bad cities, not the liberal place. No, many will. Many means us. Many means us. Men and women in here who are sitting in here do not know Jesus. Know him today. Meet him today. He's worthy. It's worth it. Many will, but not all have to. So come and meet Jesus. If your life has not been transformed by the gospel, there is no chance you will live for him. we got to move quickly. B, this is in the text, be unified with your brothers and sisters. We have one mission, one standard, because there's one who is worthy. And C, and this is the whole sermon, be fearless, because what you are living for isn't going anywhere. What you are living for, if you are living for Christ, it is the only thing not going anywhere. You say, oh, my family, they're, they're going somewhere. What does Jesus say about marriage? We, may, we don't even know our spouse in heaven. You're living your spouse in heaven. You're not even going to know that's your spouse. What is, that's the words of Jesus in the New Testament. He says there is no marriage in heaven. We're all worshiping the one. We're all the bride of Christ. That's a hard truth when you're living for your spouse. It doesn't matter as much when you're living for Christ. Be fearless because the one that you are living for isn't going anywhere. Remove the danger. Retreat to safety. And third, last, rewire your brain. The way we overcome fear is not just by running away all the time, not just by uh, getting away from the danger, running to safety, but eventually, if you, has anyone ever overcome a fear? You used to be scared of something and you're not anymore. What it took, and I've read some studies on this, what it took was your brain had to relearn some things. And it takes time to relearn some things. Fear is not eternal because people overcome it all the time. In Philippians 1, we see a man who has overcome fear. But it didn't happen day one. Paul wasn't just saved, oh, I'm good. No, it took time. And it's the reason Paul overcame fear, it's not because he was better. It's not just because he was, had a better God. It's not because he had a better gospel. Because why? Because the same God back then is the same God today. And the mindset that Paul had here is accessible to me and to you. But you must do something to gain it. How do you do anything hard? How do you do anything complicated? How do you do anything worthwhile? You commit to it. You commit to it. And if you will commit to living for Christ, over time the Holy Spirit will rewire your brain. And he will rework you and he will, the transformational work that he did at salvation will continue and you will continue to be transformed and sanctified and you'll come to a place where you are rejoicing in the midst of trial and turmoil that you would never have imagined. You'll have peace, unexplainable. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has come in and rewired who you are. Into what? A better version of you. And you'll be able to walk into those scary appointments. You'll be able to be by mom and dad's bedside. You'll be able to be by those, those hard days. And you'll be able to have joy in them. Not because life is good, but because Christ is good and he's right there with you. And that takes some time to come to. That takes some commitment. That takes some maturity to get a hold of. But it's worth it. Matt, you come play. Have you ever met? We're done. Have you ever met those people that have just walked with God? For, I'm talking about for years. Maybe it's a grandma or grandpa, maybe it's, a, maybe it's a lady in your church, an older guy in your church, that they've just, you know. Now, we all, we're all saved the same. We all have the same gospel. We're all saved the same amount. There's not something more saved or less saved. But you just, you can tell. They rub off. Man, 
they've walked with Jesus for 50, 60 years. They've prayed. They know Jesus. Why? Because over the years, Jesus has completely rewired who they are to make them more like Christ. And you go to those funerals. I worked in the funeral industry for six months. Not my, not my thing. Not my thing. And you go, I, I went to, we're in the south. A lot of, you have a lot of Christian funerals. A lot of Christian funerals. But there's still a lot of non-Christian funerals. And those funerals are different. Not because the preacher preaches a better sermon. Not because the music's better. Most of the times, the songs are the same. Go rest high on that mountain. That's every, every funeral. They sing that song. Y'all like that song. No, they're different because when the saints of God pass on after years of walking with them, nothing really changes. Because on earth, they had their family, they had their kids, they had their job, they had their, all those things. But more than they had all those things, they had Jesus. So as they were walking into eternity, as they were taking that next step of life, as they were losing those things that they lived their whole life for, they were pretty much the same person year after year, day after day. Because although they lost things around them, they never lost Jesus. And they stepped into eternity holding the hand of the one whose hand they had held the entire time. Why? Because to live is Christ and to die is gain. And you have the ability, the accessibility to live a fearless life. But it takes you living for Christ over everything else. That's a big ask. It's a Bible ask. It's a worthy ask. But here's the thing. If you have not met Jesus, you cannot live for someone you do not know. Meet Jesus today. Meet Jesus today. Come for, I don't know, uh, we, I don't know what kind of church we are. I don't know if we're a come forward church. I don't know if we're, I don't know. I'm, we're figuring it out. But I know this, we are a saving, Jesus saving church. And whether you need to come to an altar, whether you need to come find me, come find Coleman, come find Miss Liz, come find a lady, a man that we can take you from the Bible and show you how to meet Jesus, we will do it. Why? Because meeting Jesus is better than anything else in life. And it's so much better that death is no longer scary. How many people do you know that death does not scare them? Let's be real. I don't care if you're the oldest man, you're the strongest man, you've lived the hardest life. Death scares those guys too. Go to their hospital rooms. They're terrified. Why? Because death's a scary thing unless you know Jesus. And why? Because dying is gain. So meet Jesus today. And if you do know Jesus, commit to live for Him above all else. Above all else. This is not a today, this is not a salvation decision. This is not a today decision. This is a daily decision that I'm going to put away all these things that God has blessed me and serve the one who has given the blessing rather than the blessing. I'm going to live for Him and for Him alone. And then when we live for Christ, dying is gain and we can live a fearless life that's the message I'm going to ask you to stand, bow your heads, close your eyes we're going to pray, if you need to come forward and do business at the altar, do come forward humble yourself before God ask Him to help you live the life He's called you to live, you need to be saved come forward and be saved today be saved today, Matt you sing